Okay, so I'm here at Node Summit 2017 in, is it the UCSF campus? Yeah. UCSF yeah. campus in, at the Mission Bay Conference Center. It's been a fascinating conference with lots of interesting speakers and I'm here today with Emily Rose. So Emily, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, who you are, how people might know you. Oh sure, well, as Rod mentioned, my name is Emily Rose, a developer evangelist at Salesforce. Uh, I've been there for about a year and I've been in the Node community in various capacities since about 2011, kind of when I first was introduced. And uh, in terms of my, you know, kind of background or history, I've been, I think, in, you know, at least in the Node community, primarily involved mostly in kind of the, the you know, the IoT and it's like some of the drones hacking and just more of the fun, fun kind of educational introductory type of kind of content. And you, you got into Node that way, didn't you, through hardware? Yeah, I got into Node through IoT, and it's an interesting story. Do tell, because I, I know there's some interesting features yes. to this story. Okay, well, my introduction to Node was in the context of trying to f simply find an adequate solution for interfacing with serial hardware. So, specifically Arduino, as you might suspect. At the time, I was actually working as the sole tech person for a vegan strip club in Portland, Oregon. And my job was to do pretty much anything involving, you know, technology. So I did a lot of, you know, just building bespoke applications for various business processes and in the process of trying to help automate and secure the business itself and, and you know, the way it, it interacts with its customers I had basically identified the need for like a surveillance system. And so I was building a surveillance system that was kind of unique to the needs of the particular industry that we were in. And part of that was physical security. So working with sensors, working with Arduinos to be able to, you know, just detect like if doors are open or closed, windows and that kind of thing. And it really just was from a need of like, you know, all of the existing systems are either way too expensive or completely clunky and hard to use. And so I integrated a physical security system using Arduino, Node.js to interface with the Arduinos, and Twilio to, you know, control the systems through SMS. Um, was, was that, is that advanced for that industry? Like, was it, were you cutting new ground here? Because I, 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 I can't say I've, uh, well, not that I've heard of, not that many people work at strip clubs, but is it is it normal for them to have technology people that are doing technology solutions there? Or? Not to the best of my knowledge. I mean, you know, Portland is fairly unique in that it does have a pretty strong, you know, strip club culture, has more of them per capita than anywhere in the world, so they claim. And to the best of my knowledge, you know, the club that I was working at was the only one. But it was unique in a lot of other ways. It, it you know, believe it or not, had a, a pretty feminist vibe to it in general as well, which is something that I, that I appreciated. But yeah, I, I guess it is fairly unique to be a, a tech person for, for such an establishment. And so it was a, essentially a, a very uniquely Portland beast. Yes, yeah, that's, that's basically the feedback I get when, when I do have the chance to, to kind of talk about, you know, how I was introduced to Node. But it was really just a, a case of, like, perfect timing. Like, I was, you know, I had discovered, you know, Arduino was the way as a, you know, as someone who really only had access to consumer technology, Arduino was a platform that was available to me to build these types of microcontroller-based real-world solutions. And then once I was in the process of figuring out, like, well, what do I use to interface with these boards, I was evaluating, you know, some of the solutions available through Python, looked at Ruby, and they didn't feel quite right. And I just so happened to get a ticket to join the first NodeConf U.S. in Portland, which is where I was living at the time, and it was actually Nojitsu folks that gave me a t an extra ticket that they had, and at that time, you know, Voodoo Tiki got 
Chris Williams had just so happened to be debuting Node Serial Port and showing it off to the world, and it was exactly what I needed, because, specifically because it was event-based, right? You could set it up in a way that was very easy to program around events, and that was something that was not quite as easy for me to do in, in Ruby or Python. And so that's essentially how I was introduced to Node, and it all kind of spiraled from there. DigitalOcean is the best place to get your application off the ground quickly, and the easiest to scale when you find success. Start with the pre-configured Node.js one-click to get up and running in 55 seconds, or build the exact infrastructure you need with root access to servers running 100% SSDs in state-of-the-art data centers around the world. DigitalOcean's easy-to-use API makes integrating tools like Jenkins and Terraform simple. DigitalOcean is the fastest-growing cloud infrastructure provider because it's built for developers and laser-focused on its mission to create simple and elegant solutions for developers and teams. DigitalOcean community articles provide guidance on a wide array of topics that help developers build better and faster infrastructure. Many of the Node.js packages for different Linux distros are actually built and tested on DigitalOcean VMs by Node.js and Nodesource. Get $10 credit when you sign up for a new account through the link do.co slash nodeup. As an added bonus, every time a new listener signs up, another randomly selected old listener gets a bonus $25 credit. So I, I did a talk yesterday on the evolution of the Node ecosystem, and unfortunately I wasn't around for a lot of the early stuff, and I wasn't involved in the Nodebots area, and I, have, I haven't been, so a lot of it is still, I, I'm, fa I'm, I'm fuzzy on the details, but so you said Chris Williams introduced Serialport in 2011. Mm -hmm. was, was Felix doing Nodecopters before that, or did that come later? You know, I'm a little fuzzy on the actual timelines of everything, but I know that Felix's Nodecopter was, was built largely on... The serial port? Okay. I think it so was. The serial port was really the beginning of that, that revolution. I'm not sure. Well, actually, I take that back. I don't. You know, it's been so long since I've done work with the drones. I do believe the drones did come a bit after Node serial port, but I'm not sure the exact timeline. I know that by 2012 and 2013, there were a lot of the Node Copter events at a lot of the conferences. Right, right. So how does Node serial port relate to... Arduino work? Is, it, is that simply the way to get your code onto the Arduino? Well, it's, it's mostly the way that you interface with the microcontroller. Okay. And so, like, in the context of what I was initially building, you know, I was writing C and C++ to some extent, mostly just C, and flashing that onto the Arduino directly. But it was... It was the, the Arduino system communicating with its host uh. and, and that whole aspect, right, where... The Arduino is capable of doing serial communication, you know, over USB, and you can totally do that with just about any modern programming language. But it was the fact that that you know, Node Serial Port was really event oriented, it made it particularly well suited for the types of like you know, real time OS types of, of needs that you have for like building embedded systems and robots and that kind of stuff. Yeah, and interacting with the real world, which yeah. is which is very unpredictable. And, yeah. yeah. That's cool. Okay. Can you tell me a bit about what you see as the evolution of the Nodebots ecosystem? Because this thing, as I've been reflecting on it, is, is a, it's, it's been a very strong community, and it's got a very strong culture, and it's got a very strong ethos about it. Mm -hmm. How did that get started, and how has that evolved over time, as, from your perspective, anyway? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a, it's an interesting question. There's a lot of angles to consider. I think... In terms of culture, I think it really just came from the fact that Nodebots was born in 
around the same time that like you know Node itself was really starting to take off and gain that critical mass, and so I think that it was it was kind of just what's the word like it was already baked in that that sense of discovery and the, the joy of discovery was like just part of Node, and so I think like you mentioned earlier like like the Node bots has kind of kind of splintered off into, into its own thing in a sense and I think it just has, has been really easy for you know that culture to stick around given that the focus of node bots hasn't had to change along with node itself right now that node has grown up so to speak and now it has to kind of care for the the needs of like the enterprise user which are all you know very legitimate needs to to address but like node bots itself has remained largely just an enthusiast hobbyist kind of thing that is is particularly well suited as an introduction to Node because it bridges that gap and really helps exemplify the things that Node excels at and makes easy. Yeah. But in that real world context that helps connect the dots for people who may not have the same level of familiarity with other programming languages. Okay, and so I know that it's a common onboarding thing for Node users to come through NodeBots. It's it's certainly not the only one, and I'm not. And it probably is not the majority one either. But do you have thoughts on what kind of person is attracted that ends up in Node via NodeBots? Like, what is it that attracts someone through that that gateway? Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, I can't speak much to the you know the the characteristics of people who are coming into Node from other channels. But one of the the characteristics that seems very common in the folks who, who become very involved in, in NodeBots is just that that kind of like, you know, that hacker spirit of like just, you know, having that curiosity to kind of try new and, and novel things and, and think of ways think think of things in different ways. So a lot of that kind of just inventive, you know, spark and just a genuine desire to experience new things and try to do things in different ways. It, no, I think Node has been characterized by people pushing boundaries. And like when, when I was reflecting on the, this evolution story and, and the different things that people were showing up at NodeConf to show off, there were so many things that were pushing boundaries and people would go uh, either, I didn't think you, you could or you should do that with JavaScript or <laughs> that's crazy. And NodeBots, I think, it is, uh, represents an extreme fringe of that really because people are experimenting with real-world interaction and actually yeah. doing some legitimately crazy things. Yeah, yeah, and that's, it's funny you mention that because that's one of the things that I've used as kind of my snarky comeback. You know, like, Michael Rogers will often attest to the, the fact that oftentimes when you try to approach the subject of using JavaScript in some quote-unquote serious context, people will say things like, oh, that's just a toy language. Why would you do that? And... I began to realize as NodeBots took off, I was like, yeah, you're right, it is a toy language, as in we can program our toys with it, <laughs> and that's really fucking cool. Yeah. Like, so. I, I, I just watched you acquire a, a, a drone from one yes. of the swags here, and you, you're talking about pulling it apart and replacing it with some, yes. some of your own hardware. Well, I noticed that it had some extra plastic molding around it, and, and like that I could probably 
like he was saying, I could probably rip that off and then replace it with my own payload. And so I've been having fun thinking about, you know, ways to modify drones to have additional payloads. So that's something that, you know, we've been playing with for years. At, I love at that your mind Conquers. goes there. That that's your immediate thought. My thought is, is, hey, I should get one of them for my children, then I'll be super dad. Yes. Um, your thought is, how can I pull this apart and make it better? Yes. Well, that, it, coincidentally, that basically ends up being what I do with, with my, my son as well. Like, <laughs> okay. I bring him novel electronics thinking he's going to enjoy playing with them, and the first thing he does is go to get a screwdriver. And pull it like, <laughs> so it might be genetic, you know? <laughs> sounds like me as a child as well. Yep. Sneak is a London and Israeli company building developer-focused security tools, primarily focused on securing open-source code. One in seven NPM packages carries a known vulnerability, and roughly 83% of Node.js shops are using vulnerable packages. Sneak checks your dependencies against their open-source vulnerability database, and then helps you find, fix, prevent, and respond to any vulnerabilities in your application. If you're using GitHub, the fix can be as simple as an automated pull request that Sneak submits with the necessary fixes. You can easily integrate Sneak into a CI system like Travis or Jenkins to make sure your application is monitored continuously. Open source projects are free to monitor, and there's also a free 14-day trial for your private code. Find out more at snyk.io slash node. Cool. Now, the other thing I wanted to reflect with you about was... And I said this yesterday in my talk that some of the most persistent stories of NodeConf and community, the community conference space, the, the stories that hang around relate to NodeBots, and a lot of them are actually about you getting up on stage <laughs> with smoke machines or yeah. breaking things. The, yes. the audience participation and this, this sort of crazy, almost unscripted yes. type of thing. And 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 the, the funny thing about that is that you know you can go to these conferences and you have these these really high quality thoughts, the talks that people have put hours into preparing their slides, yeah. and the things that people remember yeah. are those crazy things. Is, yep. is that intentional? And and what is the aim of that style? So yeah, I mean. You definitely picked up on, I guess, what is, has become, I guess, maybe part of the, the style that the I'm signature known Emily yeah. style. Yeah, and it, it did initially begin as a very intentional thing to the extent that I wanted to be very specific about the way I was approaching the subject. And I wasn't comfortable, you know, I started, I, my very first talk was at NodeConf. I had never gone to a conference before 2011. I had never spoken at any conference before NodeConf 2012, and I didn't really have a whole like a frame of reference for how you were supposed to engage with an audience or what the expectation was, other than those two conferences. And I saw people who I th thought were just very skilled and experienced speakers who had that kind of a little bit of a facade, right? You go up and you've prepared and you've practiced and you know exactly what you're going to say and no small part thanks to how much of an expert you are on that. And I didn't feel like an expert. I felt like someone who just was excited about a thing and had learned a lot of stuff but wasn't necessarily an expert. And I didn't want to try to present myself in the light of, like, look at how much of an expert I am. So I spent a lot of times, develop, a lot of times developing slides, working through content, you know, workshopping my demos with people to see how it impacted and making sure that it got across. But I was intentional about not rehearsing exactly what I was going to say because I wanted it to feel complete, like you said, unscripted. Like it literally was unscripted, pretty much all of it, down to the point where like I didn't even know how much time things were going to take and just somehow happened to work out most of the time. So 
So, so if people were to look up your, the videos of those events, which ones would you point them to as your most memorable? <laughs> the one that I guess has turned out to be most memorable, largely due to oversight, bad judgment, and an accident of my own, was, I think, the No Dublin Conference which I think was... the smoke machine one? Yeah, that was the one where I brought the clouds to the conference. And the story behind that is that I had, I had been working on this real-time rave thing, which ended up becoming Rave.js and later Dance.js, of like, you know, how do you control and create like a, a dance like a dance nightclub experience in JavaScript for JavaScript developers? How do you get JavaScript developers to dance at all? Was a, a question I had. And so that... that Basically, that talk was like, here's what I've been working on, and like Arduinos and like some high pass, low pass filters to do some strobing LEDs and you know, interactive web pages and sensors and that kind of stuff. But I had a fog machine for the ambiance. I wanted to get it hooked up to Node. I hadn't yet done that, and I made a series of oversights. One, I didn't have a relay, and I should have used a relay. I know that now. The controller was full voltage, not low voltage. Two, when you bring an American fog machine to Europe, there is a difference in the way their electricity works, and they are not so happy about that. So I ended up frying my, my, my laptop, my phone, um, my Arduino, basically my entire demo, and I had no fog machine. So in a last-ditch effort to save my talk from being an utter failure, I found out that there was a like, stage equipment place that would rent a fog machine to me for the day, and I took a cab out there, and I got it, and I brought it back. And it turns out that it was like five times the size that I was expecting. And the button got stuck while I was on stage. <laughs> like with there was like the the fog juice was a little yeah. sticky, and it stuck to the button, and so it just clouds started billowing out. And as, to the best of my knowledge, there's just a couple pictures of me barely visible behind clouds with my hand fan, <laughs> and like a couple people taking a picture. I couldn't even see the projector screen anymore. So it just did you end up teaching anything in that in that? I think I taught people how to just kind of keep going a little bit, or at least how I keep going. I brought Max Ogden on stage with me because right. I knew things were likely to fail, and he kept things and going not, a little not bit. Not for the first time either. You've had him no. on stage a few times. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's just such a good sport, and like you know, he I think shared a lot of that same enthusiasm for just kind of discovering and playing with new things. And so, you know, when my when my laptop shut off because it had no battery and couldn't charge, like he just went straight into like playing with web keyboards like multiplayer <laughs> keyboards and showed off this little piezo drum that he had made and it was cool so, so actually talking about Max Ogden um, that's a good segue to another thing I want to talk about which is the interaction between Node School and Node Bots now Node Bots predates Node School Node School has been more prolific but I think that's because it's more general yeah but I think they have learnt from each other and yeah, evolved absolutely. with each other. Can you talk to a bit about that? Because I, like, I've been there a bit in the Node School side, but and I know the influence is there from the Node Bot side mm-hmm. and vice versa. But can you talk from your experience? Well, I think it's largely due to the fact that it's a lot of the same people, um, you know, that that have brought a lot of that same technology and just the approach. And from what I see as someone who, you know, I don't really consider myself super involved in Node Bots or in Node School. I've been to several of them, and I've participated in some of them, and I, and I love them both. But I'm not like a core contributor or organizer. But from my perspective, I think it's, it's largely based around just that the approach to education and learning is much different than what I've experienced in other contexts. It's much more kind of, it feels a lot more approachable. And it's like the, it's the like self-paced, 
you know, kind of self-driven, like what's your area of interest and letting that guide how you, how you approach the content. And it's, it feels like much less proscriptive and much more open-ended. And for, you know, the feedback that I get from a lot of people who have been to either a node school or a node bots is like, that it feels much more friendly and like they're less scared to ask questions and, you know, it, yeah. and, and, and be honest with their level of knowledge about things. And it's, it seems to me that the kind of people that turn up to run these events and mentor them are really interested in community and relationships and because yeah. they're not being paid for them. Yeah. They're there, like it's totally volunteer based. And yeah. So that actually creates a certain environment. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, it is that kind of self-selected group of people who are there simply because they have a genuine interest in, in learning and helping other people learn. Okay. So, yeah. So how about we talk about what you're doing now? Because you're with Salesforce, yeah. so tell us what yeah. you're doing with, how long have you been with them and what are you doing with them? So I've been with Salesforce just over a year at this point. And Which is a good sign, to be honest. Yeah, it? yeah. yeah. and I tweeted about this a little bit ago, but it's, it's, um, this is the first time in my tech career where I've been with a company for over a year and I don't feel like I've about run out of things to do or you know, places to grow. And so, you know, this is the first time where, you know, I, I'm in an environment where I'm, I'm very supported by the, the people on my team and, and very aligned with the overall mission of the company, right? So obviously Salesforce, as many people know, is very aligned with, you know, like equality and, and trying to do what it can to help push that forward. So that's been a big part of, you know, kind of why I'm still with the company and, 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 and engaged. But I think in, from like a technical perspective, what I find particularly fascinating is that Salesforce is in this interesting uh, kind of phase of growth where you know, we've released a suite of new technologies that is, is shifting a lot of the requirements for success for people who are building on the platform. And one of the things that I find particularly exciting is there's a, a whole new area of opportunity for someone to bring a JavaScript skill set to the Salesforce platform and find a tremendous amount of success. And, and so, we, you know, we have things like Lightning now, which is like our kind of front-end framework for building, you know, consistent, predictable user interfaces. But it's one that's coupled very tightly to, you know, the way you, you reason with application logic and data on the Salesforce platform. And so the thing that I'm working on right now, particularly, is just um, helping to kind of tell that story and, and figure out what it looks like to bring you know, competent JavaScript developers who maybe never thought of developing on the Salesforce platform to Salesforce and helping them find success and, you know, find ways to, you know, build apps quickly and, and that kind of stuff. So that's so a big part you're, of it. You're a, is it developer advocate? Is that your role? Well, I, so my, my title is developer evangelist. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of politics actually on, on the, the terminology advocate or evangelist. And I, I'm not sure I've taken sides yet, but I, I'm I'm happy with the title that I have. Although, what, what, describe the role then. What what is it that you feel that your role is? So I personally, you know, my, and I'm actually just now kind of come to understand and accept my role within the community as that, primarily as a facilitator, like you know, mentor, educator kind of person. So first and foremost, I, I guess I'm starting to see myself as as a teacher, and so that you know, a big part of what I do is you know, helping people get acquainted with the platform obviously a fair bit of content generation working on blog posts and, and that kind of thing delivering presentations at various 
conferences. But I think the, the core of it for me really just revolves around interacting with, you know, with the community itself and understanding the needs and concerns, you know, pain points and, and that kind of thing and, and being able to take that back to the, to the organization and, you know, and be able to advocate for the user as well as evangelizing the products and the services that we have available. It, it sounds like you're getting to lean into your strengths in, in your role. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of, you know, another big part of, you know, why I'm, I'm so happy with my role at Salesforce is that I'm, I'm, you know, finally realizing that for me, you know, shipping code, yes, can be, can be satisfying, but it's like not what I live and die by. It's mostly about that, you know, finding the value and helping other people do the same. So. That's cool. Uh, another thing I'm interested, always interested about people in their roles, in their employment, is what are the edge spaces that you have to push the boundaries of your capabilities and, and your natural abilities where you actually find having to develop new skills? What, what are the parts of your roles that, your role that has that? Well, for, for me right now, the, the, the biggest thing is just learning how to have a schedule about things. Like, you know, I've been... I've been someone who has been very self-driven in terms of, you know, just kind of putting things out there when I feel like they're, they're ready or when the, the mood strikes me. And, and then one of the, the biggest things that I know is, is an area for me to grow in is just getting better at finding a cadence and, you know, like regularly, you know, building content and that kind of thing. Because the realization I have at this point, especially now that I'm, you know, stepping into the role of evangelist, is one of the things that I often struggle with is, is actually the part where you've built something cool and then you want to go show people about it. And I mostly get stuck in this area of trying to focus on what other people want to do and what they're doing and how I can help facilitate that and not doing enough of the showing people the cool stuff that I'm doing and you know why it might be relevant to their interests. So that's something that I'm definitely getting, getting better at and it's not been one of my strengths, but I think soon will be. So, so you're going to a lot of conferences and events for your role? I am doing a lot of like uh, what we would consider first party events. So a lot of, you know, Salesforce has a tremendous community just within Salesforce itself of people who primarily identify as Salesforce developers. And that's something that's very new to me. So I've been doing a lot of that. But I think, you know, as I'm in a place now where I'm confident with my skill set within the context of Salesforce, I will... I, I will have an increased presence in, in these types of events as well, as an, you know, officially as a Salesforce representative as well. So. Are you finding new audiences to talk about Node things, or are you primarily doing JavaScript in general? I think it is a lot. It's a bit of both. You know, within just the, the pure JavaScript and Salesforce context, you know, now that Salesforce has released Lightning, this is the first time where a JavaScript skill set is, is a real big differentiator for you as someone who develops on the Salesforce platform. But from the Node side of it, you know, Heroku is a part of Salesforce and a big part of the custom application stack that, that a lot of people are reaching for, you know, the moment they want to build something that is, is custom to the point of it not making the most sense to build on force.com, you build on Heroku and, you know, use the, the Node stack through there and... and does, does Heroku have custom thing tie-ins with Salesforce, or is it still its own entity? No, it has a tremendous amount of integration available. So the biggest thing, the first thing that I would mention is just Heroku Connect. And basically what it allows you to do is sync your Salesforce data with a Postgres database on Heroku Postgres. And so you create data mappings between Salesforce objects and you know your fields in, in the SQL database, and you can have you know, bi-directional 
uh, or one-way replication of data that's in near real time. So you can you know, write to the SQL database and have that reflected in, in Salesforce, and you can write to Salesforce and, ha- and read from SQL. And so that allows you to basically just, the way I've you know, I put it to people is like, as soon as you're ready to like, do something completely custom, you just have this like trap door that you just kick open and you can just interact with your data that way, however, however makes sense, whether it's okay. Node or anything. So, so the Heroku acquisition has been a way for Salesforce to enable um, an extra layer of customizability for its developers. Yeah, it? yeah, it's like it's it's kind of I think the heart of like the app cloud. And so, you know, when you look at building applications on Salesforce, you have obviously a wealth of tools available to you to kind of do things within like the Salesforce-centric way, following those standards and idioms, makes it very easy to get most people all the way there, if not the 80-20, right? And then the moment that you find that need for something custom, Heroku is a big, a big a part of that. That's yeah. A, yeah, it's good to have that path. One of the frustrating things about being a developer is dealing with errors, relying on users to report them, digging through log files trying to debug issues, or a million alerts flooding your inbox ruining your day. With Rollbar's full-stack error monitoring, you get the context, insights, and control you need to find and fix bugs faster, with a lot less noise. It's easy to install. You can start tracking production errors and deployment in a few minutes. Rollbar works with all major languages and frameworks. Ruby, Python, JavaScript, PHP, and of course, Node. You can integrate Rollbar into your existing workflow, send alerts to Slack or HipChat, Create new issues in Jira or Trello and link your GitHub, Bitbucket, or GitLab repos. We have a special offer for NodeUp listeners. Go to rollbar.com slash NodeUp. Sign up and get the bootstrap plan free for 90 days. Loved by developers at awesome companies like Heroku, Twilio, Kayak, Zendesk, Twitch, and more. Give Rollbar a try today. Go to rollbar.com slash NodeUp. Now, so backing up to link this back to Node. So you've been around for a long time in the Node community and you've seen um, some of the tensions or the strains that it's had with its relationship with enterprise. Yeah. Now you're in big enterprise and you're, yeah. the people that you're talking to are all in big, like all the big companies you mm-hmm. use Salesforce. Yeah. How do you see that as having evolved? Do, is it still a tension now? Are we still trying to figure that out or have we got past that? I think that we've definitely got past it more than the past obviously like I feel like we're in an upward like kind of slope we're, we're headed in the right direction and I think it's from my perspective it feels like kind of a natural progression like you know a lot of us in the early node days were very focused on startups and many of us may have been burned by previous experiences and you know larger companies that may or may not have aligned with our values so to speak and so I think that that's kind of that natural tension when something is very new and, you know, owned by individuals who care a lot about it. There is that sense of, like, protectiveness over, like, well, what are you going to do to my baby, you know, once you get involved? But every, you know, I think for me, Node Summit is one of the ways that I take a pulse on how well we're meshing with enterprise as, like, an indie culture yeah. meeting enterprise. And every year, you know, for the past three years, I, I've, I've seen this trend of, like, people having less tension and, and more of that kind of broader understanding of kind of the natural life cycle of something, right? Like, you, you can be a startup, 
for a certain amount of time. And if you try really hard, maybe you can pretend that you're still a startup. But if, you're, if your business is successful, at some point you cease to be a startup. Yeah. And, you know, corporations at the end of the day, like, you know, enterprise companies are just built out of lots of people. And so yeah. as long as you can keep values aligned, much like, you know, Brian's talk about, about values of a, of a project and a platform, I think that's really where the where the, the struggle originates is just all of those conversations around aligning values and understanding what they are and that kind of thing. So I have a theory about this relationship, partly based on personal experience, but the when we when we formed the foundation, there was a lot of fear about that and, and on both sides. So these companies coming along wanting to contribute to Node but afraid to engage because they're going to see, be seen as the bad guys. And then those of us on the other side saying, oh, these big companies like IBM are going to come in and take over and they want Node. But you know, the sky hasn't fallen in and, yeah. and it's actually been a fairly positive experience and mm-hmm. things, have, things have really stabilized. And, and so my theory is that that positive experience where all the doomsday scenarios didn't come true yeah. has actually been, been really good for that integration of this very community-oriented thing with, with enterprise. But, but, and it's a bi-directional connection as well. Yeah, yeah does, I would agree with that. Does that sound that. good? Yeah. yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things where I definitely have been at times one of those people who have been a little anxious about like where things are headed and, and you know, in, in the past what I have maybe characterized as less than perfect transparency around messaging and, and intent. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. Largely, I think none of the, the doomsday scenarios that we had, had foretold have really taken place. So. Yeah, and we'd come to an event like this and, you know, hear these amazing talks about the things that people are doing with Node. And yeah. Like, it's just so inspiring to hear the way that companies are now, companies are now doing the kinds of things that we would see at NodeConf, where they're actually ex- pushing the boundaries of Node yeah. and doing new things with Node. Yeah. And they're coming from enterprise. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, last year at Node Summit, we had Jigesh Seheba from SAP talking about how much Node they're using in their stack. And, like... That was something I did not expect at all. That was, to me, like a, a pretty significant indicator of how far we'd come. Oh, and now you've got uh, Google cozying up, and, and we're having V8 announcements that are tied to Node. And right. Like, this, this is crazy. And I remember when the relationship was basically adversarial. Yeah. So it's, yeah, we've definitely come a very long way. And also, you know, to that, to that uh, end as well, like uh, with regards to V8, I also remember having a lot of apprehension around Chakra Core and Microsoft's involvement and what that was going to mean to Node. And fast forward to today, I mean, I couldn't be happier with with the, the level of contribution that they've made and, and all of the things that they're helping to unlock in terms of the true potential of Node outside of simply V8 and how much we love what it's done for Node yeah. up until this point. So My experience, so I, you know, I have a very similar journey to you being very skeptical about big business coming in, but since getting more heavily involved and talking to these people, just knowing that they, the, the, the motivation there is very much we want to contribute to this space mm-hmm. because we want the space to grow. Yeah. And, and that's something that we can all get behind. Yeah. And then them being very tentative in doing that because they know if they go in too heavy, it's going to give the wrong optics. Right. And so that gives them the, the motivation to do it very gently yeah. and then they're very constructive and it's yeah. Yeah, very positive. Yeah, no, I think in the end, I think all of the fear and trembling has had in some ways a positive impact in that it has shown how much people care yeah. and are willing to fight for what they believe to be the right path. And it is also, I guess, in some regards, a bit of a 
proving ground. Yeah. Some, some trial by fire may be part of it as well. Yeah, yeah. For some, you know, incoming enterprise entities that want to make well, their presence yeah. known. There's certainly some companies out there that have not very good track records with engaging with communities, and I'm sure that there's going to be some interesting lessons to come as Node Absolutely. becomes the dominant platform. Really. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about the the present and, and where we're leading into the future. What sort of things are you, as you go around do the conference circuit, you talk to people that you're connected with, what are the current trends that we're seeing in Node and what are the important topics that are being discussed these days mm -hmm. that relate to Node? Well, I think the, the, the big things that come to mind, you know, keeping in mind that I've, I've just been here at Node Summit for the past two days, I think things like, you know, we're, we're talking a lot more about security these days, which is, is in my eyes, fantastic. I, my talk back in 2012 had a little bit of an angle about security awareness, and so that's something I, I've had, a, you know, a bit of reservation and concern about over the years, and I see that being addressed, um, you know, with, like, Lyft and the, you know, Node security project, and, you know, SNCC and all of these other folks that are they're really coming to the table with, with kind of that uh, traditional... You know, infosec approach to to kind of battle hardening our, our platform, so that's been, I think, tremendously important, and in a similar context, you know, things like what NodeSource is doing with the NodeSource certified modules, like I think that's a big part of helping us get through into this kind of next phase of growth with that increased enterprise adoption, and you know, that's 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 my so my part of my message at the moment is that to get into that next wave of adopters, we actually need to really ramp up both that trust mm -hmm. and the certainty and also the on-ramp. And that's that's a theme yeah. that I'm seeing. Is that, does that seem common? Yeah, I mean, it, from from like, from like less of a technical perspective and, and more of the kind of the, the, the people perspective, absolutely, like I feel like the platform is starting to get to the point where it's, it's stable enough where, you know, it's not as much of a moving target with regards to developing you know, curriculum and documentation and process around onboarding and helping people kind of find rails to, to success. So. We're, we're moving to higher order problems now, aren't we? Right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's a good problem to have, I think. That's cool. And what about in the in the Nodebot space? Is there anything interesting going on there that you would, you'd like to See, this is where I, you know, I have to admit my my relative lack of involvement in, in Nodebots in, as, of, as of recent. I think with, with Nodebots... And what we can look to, I'm particularly excited to see how we start getting closer to all JavaScript all the time on the microcontroller and on the host systems. And so, you know, up until this point, largely when you're doing quote unquote JavaScript on the microcontroller, you're really using under the hood a C binary that's running a, a Fermata GPIO protocol that's then communicating with a node process running Johnny 5. And so there is you know, a layer of abstraction there and you can't actually directly run JavaScript and control the logic of the board directly. You have to have that host machine. And so especially with the work that Microsoft's doing with Chakra Core, being able to swap out different engines, I think I'm hopeful at the very least that we will start to see many more options available for actually, you know, writing JavaScript and having it, whether it's transp transpilation or whatever, actually be the code that you wrote on, on the microcontroller. Does JerryScript come into play there? Have you followed that much? I haven't followed it nearly as much as I should have. And, you know, through, like, signals, the things that I look for is, like, you know, when Cassandra Perch says JerryScript is looking cool, it's kind of like the signal that I look to, like, okay, now I'll consider Better go it. and look at it. Right, <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I've, you know, it's been on the, on the horizon and been in my bucket list, but... 
I've been so occupied with kind of, you know, learning and getting my, my feet on the ground with, with regards to Salesforce that, you know, admittedly haven't spent as much time as I should have. But I'm definitely interested in, you know, what some of the, the bigger players in the IoT space are, are going to bring to the Node ecosystem now that we've kind of proven the legitimacy of the platform in that context. There's certainly a lot of interest there. So do, do you think it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to push like we're going to see a really big push with JavaScript on IoT. Is that is that a, like is that any uh, an easy assumption, or do you think there's risks there? I think that at this point, th- there really is no question. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it will be the exclusive way, but I I, th- I think it's obvious at this point that it's it's going to be a big part of a big part of the picture. And if if, if nothing else, for early stage prototyping and development, there's really you can't you can't beat it in terms of the tooling and the developer experience and the workflow like you can iterate much more quickly in, in JavaScript in my experience using Node and, and you know the tool chain that we have for, yep. for that so yeah I'm, I'm curious to see how it evolves in terms of you know these IOT or like connected products as it pertain to like a production context but yeah yeah so what's what's on the horizon for you then like, what are the what are the interesting challenges that you're interested in solving, and where, or are you simply wrapped up in the challenges at Salesforce now that you're not thinking that much about? Well, I'm definitely. So, I mean, the, the biggest thing for me right now is, you know, I, I'm finally at a point where I see tremendous value in a lot of the, the same things that we've been struggling with in Node, like uh, enterprise adoption, right? Like understanding how that comes into play, even just personally in like my career as a developer. But you know, I'm, I'm definitely spending a lot of time thinking about how do I how do I make the most out of you know telling the story of being a competent JavaScript developer and and using the best tools available to you whether that's Salesforce or you know open source solutions so that's that's a big part of it for me and then in, in terms of like you know specifically like technology a lot of the stuff that I'm interested in right now and kind of working with on a personal level is kind of exploring the intersection of IoT and AI and uh, these are two topics I think that people largely are approaching as two separate entities. And one of the theories that I have is that, for the most part, they're two sides of the same coin. And so I'm doing more and more to kind of explore that, that space and, and the intersection of IoT and AI and how, how they will evolve as, as they get closer together. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a fascinating topic, I think, into the future. So well, let's finish up with... Imagine somebody listening to this that has very similar interests to you, but is just on the beginning of either their career or just their entry into our ecosystem. What, what is some, what's some advice that you could give people for resources, events, people? Where would you point people to? Yeah, advice? I think, you know, depending on who you are and, like, the, the, the scene that appeals to you, if you're the kind of person that is, that is interested in meeting people in person, you... Like you can't go wrong with finding a local meetup to get involved in, whether it's Node or Node School or Node Bots or like anything Node related, even just JavaScript. You know, for me, the community has been such a tremendous part of how I've got, you know, gotten to where I am. So yeah, getting connected. I mean, that's really true in any community. Like, get connected with the people first, and and figure out who they are and who your allies are going to be, and who you know who you can go to. You know, obviously, I'm happy to be a resource. My DMs are open on Twitter for what that's worth. But yeah, it's an invitation. Contact Emily directly. Yeah, yeah. Definitely reach out to me. I'm happy to point you in the right direction, if nothing else, and provide context in my experiences. But in terms of getting started, you know, there's so much on the internet. Node School is a tremendous resource. Any Node bots 
content at all, whether it's talks, you know, people who have given NodeBots talks, those are always very enlightening. There's tons of workshop content out there. I would also mention the Node IRC channel if you're into, you know, asynchronous remote communication, internet-based protocols. IRC is still around and it's hash node.js is Yes, it? yeah. it's yeah, pound node.js or hashtag node.js on Freenode. And I think the Node website has instructions on how to get connected. But there's also lots of other kind of satellite communities. There's like Slack communities and I think there's even like a Discord community. So lots of different, you know, messaging applications, things like that. So how can people find you then? What's your what's the best way to reach you or connect with you? Well, gosh. Twitter is is a good way. So Did I hear you were changing your Twitter handle? Yeah, I am. I will be changing my Twitter handle uh, at the beginning of August. So depending on when this goes live, you will either reach me at Nexylove, N-E-X-X-Y-L-O-V-E, or an as yet unrevealed name Ooh. that will debut on or after August 1st. Well, if it's after August, then you'll have to go to at Nexi Love to find out what the yes, redirect exactly. Is. Yeah, I will redirect you from from Nexi Love. So mm-hmm. you can you can just go to Nexi Love and and see where I'm at. And you're on IRC pretty regularly too. Right? Yeah, and I'm trying to get back on there. There was a period of time where I wasn't on as much as I, I should have been, but I will typically stop by IRC at least once a day, trying to idle more. I need to get my bouncer back up because I recently switched IRC clients and all that. So. Do you think we're going to get a crazy unscripted NodeBots talk out of you at a conference one day soon? Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, my my personal mantra has always been if someone asks something of me and I can do it, then I will. And so all, it's, all it takes is for someone to ask me to do it and I'll make it happen. So, so keep an eye out for that. I, I, I highly recommend it because these are the things that people remember and you will have stories about these things <laughs> <laughs> afterwards. So anyway, thank you very much for joining me. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, thank I you. really enjoyed this. It's been great insight. Yeah, it's um, been an awesome chat. Thank yeah. you for having me. Thank you. And follow us at, on Twitter at NodeUp and like us on iTunes. That really helps a lot with ratings. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>